Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. No auto today as the newsroom calls, but I am joined by the one and only. His name is Bruce Bernstein. But before we welcome in Bruce, coming up on today's show, Bruce and I will talk with Brian Lewis, who covers the Nets and the NBA for the New York Post. We'll ask him about this run that Brooklyn is on. We'll also talk about Jeff Green and the impact that he has had in their locker room. But before we get to all that, it's time to welcome in the one and only. His name is Bruce Bernstein. Bruce, what's up, my man? Hey, Aaron, thanks for uh, having me on to fill in for our pal Otto, who's, uh, you know, very, very busy down in Fort Worth with a lot of uh, actual news going on. So Otto, hopefully you'll be listening in at some point. I promise uh, you can have this spot back next week. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's always good to have the boss fill in so we can talk to you about things that are happening around the loop. And okay. Bruce, for people who listen to our show who don't really know, you are about as tuned in to the NBA as anyone that I've ever met. Like, like not only do you watch the Celtics, but you regularly pretty much keep an eye on everything that's going on in the league. So let's start with this. Boston has been a little bit hit and miss lately. Like when you look at their overall numbers, they're kind of a meh team. And I put that to you earlier today. And you look at what happened on Sunday, they blew a 24-point third quarter lead versus Nola. What's going on with Boston? Well, I, 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 first of all, they're missing things. They're missing someone who's on their roster and they're missing things that are not on their roster. Um, obviously, uh, unless you're sort of a hardcore Celtics fan, you really don't always understand the intangibles that Marcus Smart brings to their team. And, and Mar- you've talked about this before, how important of a player he is for them. He's like, I consider him like the emotional engine of their team. I mean, he is not their best player. He's their toughest player. He's their grittiest player. But as far as uh, talent on offense, you know, he has his hot streaks. He's had some moments where he's, you know, hit four or five threes in a row and been a real difference maker when he does it. He's also had some games where he's taken some very bad shots and you said, what are you doing? But the one thing that Marcus Smart brings every single night when he's in the lineup is the, the toughness, the grittiness, the defense, the willingness to sort of like, you know, do anything it takes to dive for a loose ball, whatever. And Boston has a bunch of guys on their team that are, you know, sort of finesse type guys, right? I mean, you know, Jason Tatum, as great as he is, is sort of a finesse player. Jalen Brown, a little bit less so, but I would still call him more of a finesse player than a, than a, you know, a, a bruiser. Marcus Smart, boy, I mean, he'll guard anybody on the floor and he doesn't care. He's, he's tough as can be. 
He's he's the the guy who will like rattle cages in the locker room if the effort isn't there. So I do believe that as as mediocre as Boston has looked, once they get Marcus Smart back in the lineup and practice, whatever, I think you'll see the intensity level go up considerably in 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 their performances. At 15 and 15 at the time of this taping, and knowing that we're gonna do a heavy segment on the Nets with Brian Lewis coming up. Do you still believe Boston has a chance to win the East? It all depends on what Danny Ainge decides to do with that trade exception and what he might do at the trade deadline. Because really, as currently constructed, no. I'd say their ceiling right now would probably be win a first-round series and probably go out in the second round with this team. Uh, However, they got a $28.5 million trade exception sitting there. And depending on what they decide to do, uh, that that could elevate them somewhat. But I really think Danny kind of missed the boat, you know, and I'm a big, big, big Danny Ainge fan. I've always sort of said in Danny, we trust. But he really kind of blew it this season with the whole Gordon Hayward deal because prior to the season beginning, he, by all accounts, and I've read numerous accounts of this, could have had uh, Miles Turner and Doug McDermott from Indiana in exchange for Hayward. And I'll tell you, Miles Turner is the kind of guy that they need. He's a rim yeah. protector. He blocks like three, four shots a game. And I mean, just simply being a defensive presence, he can stretch the floor a little bit, probably shoots a few too many threes more than he should, but you'll live with a guy doing that if he's, you know, if they're good threes, sometimes they just don't go. And McDermott is a really solid wing guy. He can shoot from outside. He's got good size. If if Danny had pulled the trigger on that deal, they'd be far better shape than they are now. But at the moment, I would say uh, their ceiling is one first round series win and then, you know, golf course. And Bruce, this is no way meant to be like a referendum segment on the, on what the Celtics did and did not do over the course of the off season. But I, I can't help, but continue to think that, I mean, what was it a few years ago, we were all talking about the treasure chest of picks that the Celtics had and all the endless possibilities that they could have done with all those. Does it ever feel like that this window is closed, that maybe they're not a championship team that we all hope that they could be? No, uh, I don't. Because if you think about it, Jalen Brown is 23. Jason Tatum's 22. Okay. That's, you know, those are two guys that could be all-stars. And when you have a couple of cornerstone guys like that, then it's really just a matter of assembling the right people around him. Marcus Smart is on a team-friendly contract for another year or two. I would imagine that they will keep him, uh, and I think they should overpay to keep him, to be honest with you. And then it, it's a matter of bringing in the, the McDermott's of the world, the, 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 uh, the, the Miles Turner's of the world. So no, I don't think their window is closing at all. I've even heard some rumors, I don't know how true they are, that they're thinking about bringing Al Horford back. And I loved Al Horford. I think Al Horford was very important to the team, but I'm not sure that I would do it at this point, not for the money that he's making. But no, their window is not closed yet by any means. Is, is there anything the Celtics could do where you'd be like, no, nah, they're done. They're out. I, I'm done with them. No. <laughs> Come on, Aaron. Been, that's, that's, I, that's kind of what I'm like, I've There's been, no you know, way you're saying I've, that. I've you're been, I've been, well, but, but I'm also objective about it because, you know, like sort of Laker fans and Celtics fans, I think are similar in a lot of ways. And that might be a good segue to talk a little bit about them. But yeah. 
we 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 have a higher standard for what we consider to be as you should okay right i mean since i've been following the celtics all right and i'm gonna i mean i'm i admit i'm 63 went to my first celtics game in 1966 since i've been following the celtics they've won eight nba championships you know bill russell was still playing when i was so no you're not (laughs) you're not no no, Bruce, I, Bruce just, your fandom no. to the Celtics is equivalent of mine to Kansas basketball. Kansas is bad this year by Kansas standards, right? They're probably going to be a four seed in the NCAA tournament, but I watch them. And I'm like, man, this team's garbage. Like I can't do it. Feel sorry for all other college basketball fans. You have to watch crummy teams, but I get it. I understand it. I will never say a bad thing about my team. Okay. You mentioned, right, let, this, me ask you, is, let me ask you a question. Oh, go for because it. Because we're going to switch. We're going to switch over. And again, if I cut yeah. you off, I apologize. Oh, no, uh, no. I mentioned, I mentioned the Lakers They're They've hit a little bit of a rough spot. Haven't they Aaron? Yeah. Losers of four, their last five. And a lot of it has come with Anthony Davis out of the lineup. And that's been the whole conversation that we've had, right? Like how can this Lakers team weather a storm when one of their two stars is out? Like LeBron, he's 35, right? 35, 36. He's 36. been around the NBA. Yeah. He's been around the NBA for so long that he just feels like the ageless wonder at this point. <laughs> But it's hard to continue to ask him to do the things that he's having to do each and every night. And, you know, to LeBron's credit, he said, I have to step up. I have to play better while AD is out. That's on me. But you can't ask him to take on more of a load because he's going to be carrying the load in the playoffs. You can't ask him to put extra miles on himself in the regular season. And I I know people are going to say, yeah, but like, you know, load management, things like that. No, this is a guy who's already dealing with the shortest offseason the NBA has ever had, right? He just got off another historic run in which he was asked to do more and play more minutes in a unique environment that he's ever been asked to do before. They need to find a way, and it's really hard with the constraints of their roster and what they have, to find someone that he can lean on more in situations if AD is out for an extended period of time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, look, LeBron James, although he's never played for a team that I root for, he's been my favorite player for a long time. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Nobody knows the game. Nobody knows their own self. Nobody knows their team better than LeBron James. Okay. So if LeBron James says, don't worry about the minutes, I'm not worried about the minutes. If LeBron James says, I'll let you know when I need a rest, I was saying, fine, raise your hand when you want to come out or whatever. Uh, LeBron James is. 100% 100% trustworthy. He's the, he's an amazing leader. He's an amazing player. And you know what though, you know, every team has a stretch during the season and some of the guys that have to step up aren't necessarily LeBron James. It's, it's guys like, you know, Montrez Harrell uh, or, or guys like, you know, Kyle Kuzma, some of the guys who need to, you know, uh, you know, score some of the points that AD's not scoring. But, but so Bruce, I that's, feel, that's a good yeah. point. It should be indicative on them to step up, not LeBron, right? Like LeBron shouldn't be the one going to the media saying, I need to take on a bigger role for this team while AD's out. Like those other guys need to be the ones saying, hey, how can I help in a way that can help fill just a little bit of the hole that AD does? But see, that's part of the greatness of LeBron James in that he is, you know, he he always... He always puts on his big boy pants, right? He's the guy who will say he'll, he'll take it on himself. You know, Brian Lewis is going to talk a little bit uh, in our segment coming up about, uh, you know, how veteran guys influence in the locker room is really helping Brooklyn. And I won't say who, although I believe you might've mentioned it already, but 
that's the kind of leadership that you need. You need people to say, I'm not telling you to do anything that I don't expect out of myself. And that's LeBron James. Absolutely. All right. You teased it. You want to go ahead and head to the borough? Let's do it. That was dope. And it is my pleasure to welcome on Brian Lewis, who covers the Nets and the NBA for the New York Post. And Brian, you and I and Bruce, we were talking about this before we started, but this is slowly becoming a Nets podcast. And for good reason. This is a team that you cannot stop talking about. And now they're giving us reasons for why they can be not only an Eastern Conference favorite, but an NBA Finals favorite as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, this is a team that, one, it's never going to be boring to cover. Um, you could see that coming from whenever you're adding outsized personas like KD and Kyrie to the team. Um, but now they've just they've gone all in and every day it is a different story. And yes, I do think right now, if I'm not a betting man, because I'm just too stingy to lose my money. But right now, <laughs> I would wager on them certainly being the favorite to come out of the east now beating the lakers that's a whole different story because we don't know how healthy the lakers will be we don't know how healthy anybody would be but certainly i would look at them as a favorite to come out of the east yes yeah and health health is going to play a role in any team's championship run but this team particularly now has so many different facets that they still have to incorporate like they still have to understand how all these personalities are going to mesh and they started to do that let's start with this west coast swing five and oh what was the biggest difference you saw that this team made? Well, the biggest difference to me was they played at least a modicum of defense. Now, nobody's asking them to be the bad boys. Nobody's asking them to be, you know, Riley's or Van Gundy's Knicks. But you have to play at least a little defense. You can't be far and away the worst defense in the league, which is what they were going into that. Uh, and it really started before the road trip. It really started uh, the, the game after they lost in Detroit. They came home. They played, the, they played Indiana. Ever since then, they have increasingly been tougher, more disciplined, and more connected on defense. Now, they're never going to be a good defensive team, but they've gotten to the point where they can be moderately below average, and that's good enough. That's good enough for this team to blow people out moderately below average. So the, the best way I can relate to this is as a Chiefs fan, I, I remember thinking about that uh, 2019 run that the Chiefs were on, right? Like top offense in the NFL, horrible defense, right? And you were just hoping that if maybe they could be a top 20 defense in the league, or maybe even in that 15 to 20 range, then they would have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. So, so that's what you're saying. You think that if this Nets team can reside anywhere, maybe between 15 and 20, which is respectable defensive numbers for as good as they are offensively, that they can be a real force to be reckoned with in the finals. If they're 15th by the end of the year, I think they're the favorites to win the title. Now, bearing in mind, understand that that means you've had to make up ground, right? I mean, when you're sitting like at 30 and you end up at 15, that means you were a lot better than 15 over the second half of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at it from the time they got Harden through that uh, loss in Detroit, they were 30th. And I, I'm not going in point, I'm not going by points per game because I yeah. haven't quoted that in years. I'm talking defensive rating, 
Yeah, right. and, and 27th in defensive everybody. rating prior right. to today. Right. But, I mean, when you look at their numbers in this winning streak or since basically Jeff Green, the adult in the room, stood up and said, listen, what, what kind of team do you guys want to be? Do we want to be a team that just talks and talks and talks and we don't accomplish anything? Or do we really want to put our, our effort into this? Um, ever since then, now you're talking about being 21st, 19th, 20th. So my point is, as they are progressing toward being even a mediocre defense, yes, I think that's, that's what you're looking at. If they can be mediocre, they're the favorite. Even James Harden's been, you know, getting his nose dirty there playing some defense too. Although, you know, that that's always a relative term with James, but he really has been the catalyst for some of the recent great, you know, play by the team. Now they've been giving out the MVP award in the NBA since the 1955-56 season, okay? And there's never been a player that's won that award that switched teams during the year and won it with his team. Is this something that's actually a possibility? I mean, I wouldn't call it an impossibility. Yes, it is certainly that is a possibility. I would not label him the favorite, but I would say based on what he has done and how transformative he's been, he certainly should be a contender. And yes, I would agree. He's actually, listen, here's the thing with Harden. It's not that Harden won't play any defense. It's just that there were stretches where he would just flat get lost on defense and look really, really, really bad and put himself on Shaq and a fool, right? But he's a guy that's, I mean, he's, he's stocky. So he's a guy where he can excel in switches more than some other guards can. He's not at this huge disadvantage when he switches and ends up on a small forward or even a power forward because, I mean, he's got the girth to stand up to that. His problem is there were times when he would just get lost on a play and just be standing there and have no idea what's going on, and it looks really hideous. Um, But it's not like he's incapable of making good defensive plays. He's got quick hands. He gets a lot of steals. So when he's engaged defensively which is the key word in all of this for the Nets because there were times when they just flat out were playing bad teams and they looked like they didn't care because they figured eh, we can spot these guys 10 points and we'll get them in the fourth quarter but when he's engaged he can play at least enough defense that his overwhelming talent on the other end of the court makes him an MVP candidate is that something that Steve Nash has really emphasized with him or or that he's tried to do is put him in situations defensively where he can be successful? Well, Steve, yes. Steve, they've switched a lot this year. I mean, they switched probably a little bit more than normal last year on pick and rolls, a little bit more. But it wasn't anything, you know, outrageous. Um, their switching increased this year, you know, under Nash. But since they got hardened, They've been switching at a rate that's kind of similar to the way they played in Houston, which I guess isn't shocking because you had D'Antoni, you had Harden, you had Jeff Green, and that team switched more than anybody in the league by a huge margin. I mean, that team switched more than anybody in NBA. Well, I shouldn't say NBA history, but, you know, since we really started tracking those sort of numbers, right? 
Um, and now their defense has looked more like that in terms of their switching everything. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And that puts Harden in a situation where he can be successful and the good things that he does defensively are accentuated and the bad things that he does are hidden, right? So, yes, uh, to answer your that's a long-winded way of saying yes. Besides, you know, after the team traded away uh, Jared Allen and there was concern because Jared was really good, you know, rim runner, rebounder, defensive presence in the paint. People were concerned that, well, you know, the only way the Knicks are going to win is if they score 140 every night and they just outscore the other team. Uh, and so that was one issue that people had. And another issue people were wondering about was how are Kyrie and James going to handle this sort of uh Who's going to, you know, be the ball dominant guy on this team? And, and Kyrie kind of came out and sort of publicly declared, you know, Harden, you're the point guard. Did that have a major effect on improving the chemistry of the team? I don't know that I don't know that Kyrie's declaration had a major major effect on it um, because it was a fait accompli anyway. I'd say the fact that Kyrie accepted it internally had a major impact on the team. Here's the thing. People don't remember when Harden showed up, Kyrie was gone anyway. Kyrie, and again, this is, I'm not making light. If somebody needs to step away, they need to step away. They need to do what they need to do for their health, right? Mm -hmm. But when Harden arrived, Kyrie was gone. So they handed the ball to Harden anyway. So he was already the point guard. Now the difference is when Kyrie comes back, you have two ways of handling it. Well, there's really three ways of handling it. I mean, you can chafe and be disruptive and have a hissy fit and pout. Or you can be stoic about it. Say, all right, stiff upper lip, whatever. Or you can actually go all in and accept it and embrace it. Kyrie, to his credit, took the latter option. He accepted it. And it's what they should be doing anyway, because flat out, James Harden is a better point guard than he is. I'm not getting into who's a better player, even though I think Harden is a better player. but he is a better point guard. He is a better distributor of the ball. He makes other people better. Kyrie, even though he does not have all the scoring titles that Harden has, Kyrie is as good at breaking people down one-on-one -on -one as anybody. So he should be freed up to score. He is a short two guard. That's what he is. Now he's capable of distributing because he's so talented, but he's a short shooting guard. James Harden is an all-time point guard. So they are now playing the positions that they were meant to play and everybody is better for it. And the difference is the what's key was that Kyrie accepted it wholeheartedly and went all in on it. That's that's what's helpful. Not that he came out and said it to us, which is, you know, that, that's one thing, but that he accepted it internally and wasn't disruptive at all. I, I think it's actually much more effective to have Kyrie playing off the ball because he can still break guys down with his dribble. The advantage that he'll have is they'll be further. The, the defenders won't be right on top of him like they would if he was handling the ball all the time. So really it's just good basketball IQ on his part to accept it because he's going to have a lot more freedom to do his thing. Sure. Well, when Kenny Atkinson was here last year, and I will extend that to when Jacques Vaughn, was the interim. Both of them were considering 
playing Kyrie more off the ball and letting Spencer and Karras be on the ball more, right? To a, a to accentuate what Kyrie does and allow him to get in his bag and do what he does. And B, because flat out Spencer can run the team in a very efficient manner. Now that's Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert. You can make the comparison between Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and to what James Harden is doing. This is a guy who's led the league in assists before. It's not like this, it's not like we haven't seen this before. Right. He's already done this. So we knew he was capable of doing this. And now he's got more weapons than he's ever had around him. Right. So it yes, it absolutely makes sense. I'm just using this to illustrate that this is something they were considering. And that was before you had a transcendent point guard talent. Those are all really good points, Brian. And you know, the, the other piece of this puzzle that hasn't been around for the last four games is Kevin Durant and the way that he's returned since that Achilles injury. I, I don't know if I've ever seen someone return and have the kind of impact that he said. I, I mean, he's been absolutely tremendous. When is he expected back and, and what kind of extra wrinkle does that throw into this offensive chemistry that it seems like they've developed? Well, I mean, as you can recall, I mean, he doesn't need to be a high volume guy to be ridiculously effective. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need 30 shots. I mean, this is a guy that'll get you 30 points on 15 shots, right? I mean, it's it's absurd how efficient he is. And they were using Golden State where he was third in terms of shots taken. I'm not saying he was the third best player, but I'm saying he was third in shots taken. So he doesn't, he's not a guy that takes a lot of adjusting to. If you were saying, okay, well, we're dumping Kyrie into this mix because Kyrie's been out for three weeks. Okay, that takes some adjusting to. Kevin Durant will step right into the lineup and there won't be a huge adjustment. Um, He's a guy that can go out and he's quite satisfied if he gets, you know, 27 points on 15 shots and they win, he's happy as a clam. He's fine with that. Um, I think the impact will be more defensively. And I'm not implying that he's as good a defensive player as he is an offensive player, but he is a vastly underrated defensive player. And he will help a defense that needs all of the help it can get. And they're woefully undersized without him. So, I mean, he'll make an impact on both ends of the court when he comes back. I I guess the thing I keep defaulting to is personalities are tough to manage. And when you have three alphas on a team like this squad has, that's even more difficult. And Steve Nash is, I've been impressed with what he's been able to do and the way that he's kind of got all three of these guys to play together. But how realistic is it for Kyrie to continue to be okay with the role that he's in? For KD, and I, I, you know, he's never been a high volume guy and he's just always been a tremendous basketball player. But how, how realistic is it that all three of these guys continue to keep, keep this same mindset in ordinance to accomplish the greater goal, which is obviously an NBA championship, to keep that together for the remainder of this campaign? It's easy to do in a two week span, right? Right. Like four months is difficult. It's hard for me to say that. It's hard for me to predict what's in another man's heart or what, what he's going to do or what he's going, how he's going to feel, you know, a month and a half from now when they're going through some dip or some tough time, which, you know, 
eventually will happen, right? Uh, the only thing I can say is they all wanted to be here. Every one of them wanted to be here. Now, that's crazy when you think about it, because Sean Marks took over this team five years ago, what, last week? And, I mean, they were as dire a situation as there was in the NBA. Yeah, it's, it's, wild, it's Durant, wild to think about just yeah. from a culture and a roster perspective, how different they are than even three years ago. Yeah, and they, they were a good team three visit. years ago. They couldn't get a visit from Kevin Durant the last time. He was taking visits out on Long Island. He didn't want any part of them. It's amazing how far they've come. So, you know, they all chose to be here. Kyrie and KD chose to be here together, chose to basically leave some money on the table to get DeAndre Jordan here. And obviously you can see how badly James Harden wanted to be here. Now you can make whatever judgment you want on how things ended in Houston, but it shows that he did clearly want to be here. So my point only is that they didn't draft these guys, right? And when I say they didn't trade for these, yes, they did trade for Harden. But my point is all three of those guys out of anywhere in the league, this is where they claim they wanted to be. So therefore, you would hope that that would play a role in how much they're willing to sacrifice to win here and to get it done here. And Harden has been adamant about openly talking about how much he wants to win a championship. Those guys have their rings. He does not. Um, that is very important to him. And this is his best opportunity to do so. So how much is he willing to sacrifice to get it? You know, we'll see. You know, I don't know. We'll see. When they lose, I don't know, four in a row and, you know, some, some people have taken some horrible shots down the stretch or blown defensive coverages or whatever it is, then we'll see. We'll see how together they are when they go through that. I think James really has put his money where his mouth is because here's a guy who over the past, you know, six, seven years probably averaged about 34, 35 points a game. This year he's averaging 25, maybe a hair under 25. So he's, he's shown it, but you mentioned a guy earlier that I want to ask you about. You described him as the adult in the room and that's Jeff Green. Now, Jeff is a guy who's been around the league for about 13, 14 years now. I mean, his his career was almost over before it began because of, you know, heart condition and he had open heart surgery as a young player and everything. So what does a man like Jeff Green mean as far as team chemistry in a locker room where you do have kind of a lot of, you know, big time personalities? Is he kind of considered like the Yoda type character, the wise elder? Right. I mean, I yeah, I wrote about Jeff today, you know, about and he opened up about his his heart surgery. And, and I mean, and Jeff has, I mean, Jeff has known KD even before they were together as NBA teammates. I mean, they both grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland. Jeff's two years older. Um, but I mean, they were Sonics together. I mean, that's how long ago we're talking. Not when it was, not when Sonic was a hamburger or a hedgehog, but I mean, when Ted <laughs> actually met an NBA player. That's how long ago this was and KD flew to visit him after his heart surgery you know so I mean they are they are close they are friends that go beyond basketball but yeah I mean when you think about when you think about KD and how big a name he is and how big a star he is he generally sees basketball the right way 
right? He very rarely makes mental mistakes, right? But if he, for whatever reason, were just off his game or something was awry or he made five or six gaffes in a game, who on the roster is going to be able to go to Kevin Durant and say, what's up? You got to talk about this. What, what are you seeing here? What are you thinking? Who is going to do that? It's probably not Chris Chiazza. It's probably not TLC. It's Jeff Green. You know, if Kyrie needs to be talked to in a stern fashion, who is going to be able to do that, that Kyrie will respect and Kyrie will absorb the information the correct way? That's probably Jeff Green. Everybody on that roster has the utmost respect for that guy. There is such, he had, his words carry such gravitas in that locker room that I'm not saying he's the best player on the roster, but I'm saying he is eminently respected in their locker room. There is a value in that, right? And when you look the last few years, the best player in their locker room, in the Nets locker room, has not always been the leader in the locker room. I mean, there was a year where Jared Dudley was one of the leaders in there. I'm never going to imply that Jared Dudley was the best player, but Jared was a vocal force in there. People listened. Um, Ed Davis, and Ed never said two words, but I guarantee you if he said those two words, everybody in there listened, right? So you need leaders in there, and that's not really Kevin style. He's kind of a low-key, laconic kind of guy. His leadership is that I'm going to be in there in the morning working out before you get there. So if you're the two-way and you show up with crust in your eye and Kevin Durant's in there working, you think, oh my God, what, what am I doing wrong? I'm on a two-way and he's in here beforehand? That's his leadership style. And you're getting ready to go home and he's still in there working, still sweating. You're like, damn, I, I guess I can't leave. I guess I have to put up another 500 free throws. I, I guess I have to stay. That's his leadership style, right? Yeah. Jeff is a little different. Jeff's leadership style is what we would consider, you know, traditional leadership. So there's a value. He, I can't quantify how much it's worth. I think you would only see it if he were gone. Then you would see how much it's worth. Absolutely. Brian, I can't thank you enough for not only taking the time out of your day to do this, but for just breaking everything down. This Nets team, I, I think, is an incredible case study for how to mesh different personalities and how different types of offensive players can work together. And the evolution of this squad, like you put it, over the last five years has been something to watch. And no franchise, I think, in professional sports has gone through it quite like the Nets have. And we appreciate your time, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Well, special thanks to Brian Lewis for taking the time out of his day to talk with us. You know, Bruce, one of the things that really stood out to me about that conversation, and there was a handful of them, but you really have to think of the odyssey this Nets team has been on over the course of the last five years. And he put it into picture perfect like think of how big of a mess this franchise was five years ago right they had no picks young roster they were trying to find their way to where they are now and it is it should be a case study for every nba gm regardless of what market you're in 
that you can go from the depths of the NBA to being the kings of the NBA in a short amount of time, as long as you trust your player development staff, as long as you utilize not only your first round picks to the best of your ability, but your second round picks, and then you foster a culture that makes people want to come to your organization. And that's the whole reason why they have this trio of stars that they do now, because they looked at the fun or the fun that Spencer Dinwiddie was having. They looked at how that roster was constructed at the time and the culture that they had built. And they said, that's a place that I want to play in. You know, when Sean Marks took over that team, as you said, they were a dumpster fire. They had traded away draft picks and got, you know, aging Kevin Garnett, aging Paul Pierce. And the two guys that we talked about near the top of the show with Boston were guys the Nets should have theoretically drafted with Jason Tatum yeah. and, and, and Jalen Brown, because those were the guys that Boston flipped Garnett and Pierce into. So, yes, Sean Marks came from San Antonio. He was under the Greg Popovich, R.C. Buford regime and came in with a with the bar set pretty high in his own mind. And he's been uh, daring in his in his work. I mean, the James Harden trade is a perfect example. He traded away, you know, some young guys, Karis LeVert, uh, Jared Allen. Players uh, that he liked. Yeah. Draft picks out the wazoo in the future. Uh, and really, I was somebody who looked at that and said, oh, my God. I mean, if they don't win at least two championships, you know, this is this is, you know, they're really destroying the future of their franchise. But you know what? Bringing quality guys in, bringing them into a, a situation that is a sort of a winning where expectations are high situation. Um, so far, so good. And, and the fact that James Harden and Kyrie Irving have uh, coexisted in perfect harmony uh, is a credit to them as players. And it's a credit to the, the team's culture and certainly the coaching staff as well. Absolutely. My, my man. Very well said. Bruce, I will tell you this. There's nobody else I ever want to pinch hit for Otto than you. You are the perfect pinch hitter because every time you hit a home run, my man. You're too kind, Aaron. You're much too kind. <laughs> Special thanks to our producer, Scott Turkin, as well as our editor, Kristen Woolley. And as always, our chief content officer, his name is Bruce Bernstein, for helping us put together a quality program each and every week. And if you guys have not been checking out all of our program that we produce Monday through Friday, where have you been? The Mike Wise Show drops every single Monday. Full court, which has been taking place in the bubble recently, right, Bruce? That, that's where that one's been uh, been been coming from? Yep, they uh, they resumed uh, production this week with Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay. Jenny's been in the G League bubble in Orlando. Yeah, bringing you unique insight as always. Wednesdays is Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and myself. Otto will be back next week. A big congratulations to the host of Buckets, Boards, and Block, Monica. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, Monica McNutt, who was fantastic, Bruce, on her debut of Around the Horn. Did you get a chance to catch that? I definitely did. I mean, you know, she was uh, she was uh, the victor in her rookie appearance. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you go, girl. Absolutely. She hosts that podcast along with King McClure out of Baylor, who hopes that maybe his Bears will actually play a basketball game sometime soon, Bruce. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but they're still the number two team in the country. And as always, we wrap up the week with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Bruce, is there anything that I forgot? 
Uh, no, we're we're hoping uh, for buckets, boards, and blocks that drops uh, in a day or two to have Jay Billis from ESPN as their special guest. So hopefully, uh, you know, uh, don't want to put any pressure on you, Jay, but uh, we got a lot to talk to Jay Billis about. Absolutely. And as always, Bruce, we were, we want to remind people that this pandemic is still going on. Uh, yeah, people are starting to get vaccinated more and more, which is obviously something that hopefully whenever uh, anyone hearing our voices is eligible, they will sign up, get it done. Please continue to wear your masks to protect yourself, to protect others, keep your distance from others in public, and just be considerate of other people. I mean, we're, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together. But, you know, we can't take anything for granted. We're, we're, we're getting to the point now where we can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. So people don't let up. Keep working hard to do the right thing and be a great citizen. And, uh, you know, we'll see you all on the other side of this, hopefully. Amen, my friend. Everybody, Otto is back next week. We will continue to talk a little NBA basketball. But until then, make sure you guys enjoy the week ahead. Make sure you enjoy watching some of the games, whether it's NBA and college. We appreciate everything that you guys do. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a comment on Apple or Spotify and rate and review. We appreciate it. Until next week, guys. Captain Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.